So I want to put this delicately. Philadelphia sports fans do not have the best reputation. Can you all agree with me on that? No, okay. And I know, what do you say? I'm in New York originally, what do I have to talk about? As it turns out, there's jerkiness in every single fan base. It's just that Philadelphia seems to have gotten that reputation a little bit more than some others. I say that because tonight my father and I have two tickets for the Giants-Eagles game. And for those of you who've been around for a while, you will know that I'm a Giants fan. I will not be wearing blue when I go there. I will change. Now, both teams are 2-1. and one. Both teams are kind of tied for division lead. It's early in the season. Except with the Eagles, one of the things I've observed, when I watch games, I don't just watch games. I've got, you know, a couple other devices open, and I'm looking at Twitter, I'm looking at Facebook, I'm texting with friends. I want to make a kind of a social interactive kind of thing. And one of the things I'm seeing is that if you're an Eagles fan, you might know that Michael Vick has not played very well this season so far, even though the Eagles are 2-1. and one. The Eagles quarterback has not played well. And one of the running memes, if you will, one of the, one of the themes that you continue to see online is that people are kind of, or some people are exulting over the fact that Michael Vick is not playing well. Sometimes they make funny comments, sometimes they make some ugly comments. I mean, I saw the one this past week where Michael Vick was being seen being attacked by dogs. Now, they understand, I understand at least, why there is a deep resistance to Michael Vick and why some people are taking pleasure in the fact that he is not playing well. The awful intentional cruelty of dogfighting in which he voluntarily participated and actively participated should not be forgotten. And yet, over these last few weeks when I have seen people online project this kind of joy over the fact that he is not doing well, I wonder if it is really as effective as it could be. I wonder if, whether Michael Vick throws three interceptions or three touchdowns, whether people could just put simply, remember the dogs. Just that. Remember the dogs. Remember what's really at stake here. Remember what he did. Rather than taking pleasure in his misfortune, remembering instead what is at stake and what kind of beings really suffered. See, the problem when people make a joke out of Michael Vick's not playing well is I hear the voice not of justice, but of revenge. I hear the voice whenever harm is celebrated, rather than focusing on the harm done to the dogs, I hear the voice of resentment. Resentment, holding grudge, holding on to anger, is a kind of spiritual poison. It is the opposite of seeking for justice. It is the opposite of holding in our hearts with compassion beings, and in this case the dogs, who have suffered because of Michael Vick's absolutely callous and awful actions. This morning I want to talk about resentment. I want to talk about why it is spiritual poison. The word resentment, take it apart. Resentment. Resentiment. Re-sentiment. It literally means feeling over and over and over and over and over and over again the thing that causes us pain. Now, 
the inability to move beyond resentment, beyond resentiment, gives voice to some really difficult things about what it is to be human. W.H. Auden, the famous poet, penned these words a number of years ago, or 50 years ago. He said, I and the public know what all school children learn. Those to whom evil is done do evil in return. Now, I think he was actually protesting that cycle of violence, that cycle of anger, that cycle of resentment, that cycle of resentment over and over and over again. But when he wrote, I and the public know what all school children learn. Those to whom evil is done do evil in return. What we see there is an unending circle of anger met by anger, of violence met by violence, of resentment met by more resentment. Individuals and societies who stay in that place are stuck, cannot move. And so I'd like to imagine for just a second, let's imagine way, way, way back beyond recorded history in our species. Let's try and imagine the first person to let go of resentment. I mean, you know, sometimes we can think about the the first person or the first people to ever use fire and how much power it must have given them. Or if you ever heard this one, the first person ever to lobster. And I grew up summers in New England, and I love lobster. But you know what they say is the first person ever ate a lobster must have been really hungry. Because a lobster looks like just a really big bug, and it's really gross. And some of you still think that way. So let's imagine the first person or the first people to ever let go of resentment of re-sentiment, of that cycle of feeling and feeling and feeling and feeling the same thing and never making any progress. Beyond resentment, there's a new possibility, a different way of living, opportunities for growth and health and change that staying stuck in resentment never can encourage us to reach or to aspire to. This message series on being a beginner, it takes its inspiration from that famous quote that I have shared the last couple weeks from the Zen teacher, Shunryu Suzuki, who says, In beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In expert's mind, there are few. In beginner's mind, many possibilities. In expert's mind, there are few. There is an intimate and necessary connection between beginning and possibility and moving beyond resentment. Whatever level of resentment we hold in our hearts, whatever level of resentment you may be holding or I may be holding, to be truthful, in my heart this morning. When we move beyond resentment, we enter into that realm of forgiveness. Now, I prefer to think of forgiveness not as a weakness. Some people will say those who forgive are weak. It's another way to look at it. Some people think, you know what, we're obligated to forgive. It's a big old have to. I don't think that's a very fruitful way to encourage forgiveness either. I also don't think forgiveness is heroism. Sometimes, you know, there's the stories of the Amish and nickel mine and that horrible atrocity that happened there. And we lift up the Amish, their ability to forgive the mass murderer who took their children and somehow think, wow, they're so heroic. I think any time we make an act or a state of being like forgiveness, something that's heroic, we put it far from us. I prefer to think of moving beyond resentment as an act of evolution, an evolution of the spirits, an evolution of our moral and ethical life. What is required if we wish to embrace this kind of personal evolution is the meaning of this message today, and one word in it particularly. 
I could have called this message freedom from the past. But that's not what I'm talking about. Instead, it is freedom with our past. Whatever your past is, whatever you're working with, that matters most. That basic attitude, that single prepositional change, with rather than from, makes all the difference if we want to move beyond resentment in our lives. Because if we want to or aspire to evolve beyond some of our hurts, want to experience a deeper sense of healing or wholeness, peace within ourselves, it means encountering what came prior. It means not lopping off our past. It means... Understanding what we hold within us because our life experience is what it is. This attitude is expressed beautifully in a story that may be apocryphal, but I'm going to treat it as true because even if it didn't happen, it's still true, which is that Thomas Edison, when he was asked, when he first delivered his light bulb, he said, he was asked by a journalist, how did it feel to fail a thousand times? Thomas Edison responded, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. That is the difference between freedom from our past, everything else was a mistake, everything else was failure, everything else is pain, I don't want to take a look at it, and freedom with our past. It's the important difference between forgiving and forgetting. When we forget, we eliminate the possibility that we can claim with integrity, all the steps of our lives. So beginner's mind and beginner's heart is not forgetting because if we forget, we are eliminating the seeds. As Chris quoted today, the seeds of abundance within us that create the conditions so that we may really have the capacity for learning and growth and change. Now, I like, I'm just going to say it, all of you, I don't know your exact stories, but I'll just, you know, it's kind of a human thing. We all carry within us, to varying degrees, difficult or painful parts of our past. And it is a very honest and human emotion and desire to hope, to hope, to say, if we could go back and do it all over again, we wouldn't have hurt the other person or we wouldn't have been hurt by them. It's a very meaningful, I think, desire to undo harm. But there is a difference between hoping something never happened and forgetting that it ever happened. There is probably one, for example, one experience in my life most responsible for me standing here today, which it was going on 20 years ago, this coming Thanksgiving Day, the out of the blue, unexpected, certainly undesired, death of my mother, which just dropped dead, 47 years old age on Thanksgiving Day. Now, I love all of you, and I love being here. But if I hoped that never would have happened, I would go back and change that. It was the single most important and traumatic moment of my life. And it also opened up within me both pain and a desire for spiritual growth that I don't know if I would have followed the same path if it wouldn't have happened. But the point is that it did. I think that's when all of us can make the shift from I hope it wouldn't have happened to it did happen. From freedom from our past to freedom with our past. When we can say to ourselves with kindness, 
kindness towards ourselves. It did happen, and this is my life. Maybe you need to say that to yourself right now. This did happen, and this is my life. This is the path of freedom with our past. This is the path of healing. This is the space in which we begin to refuse resentment. Resentment. We get unstuck. Now, what does this really look like or sound like in our lives? I put something up on my Facebook page this past week, and I know you can't read all these words. So uh, if you're my Facebook friend, take a look after the service, or maybe also look with a, for a group called Mindfulness Therapy. And by the way, if you cannot get access to any of those things, just email me or email the congregation and we'll send you this. So this talks about... Um, Mindless response on one side and mindfulness, a mindful response on the other side. And in the middle there, red. I think you can all see the color red. That's the stressful event. That's the thing that hurts us. That's the thing that causes us distress. And on the one side, there's the distress reaction in which we immediately go into judging and we immediately treat our thoughts as absolutely real. And we get into that place in which what hurt us blots out any of the other reality in life. And we all know this. I know this response. I know this reaction within myself. The point is, do we stay stuck there? If we're not stuck there, we move into, whether we have formal or completely informal mindfulness practices, a place in which we start to look at the fuller reality of our lives, a way in which we do not get lost in the past or try and flee to the present, but allow ourselves to be aware in this moment. In this moment, we can practice freedom with our past and not flee from the reality of our lives. Now, what does this really look like? Like, what does this look like in real time? And especially in this past week, for someone like me who grew up Jewish, excuse me. Not excuse me for growing up Jewish, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Poorly timed. (laughs) What does this look like in real time? This week after Yom Kippur, the... Jewish day that ends the high holy days, the day not just of forgiveness, but the day of atonement. You take apart the word atonement. A lot of people said this. It means at one minute. It means a, a sense of reconciliation with our lives. What does this really look like in action in real time? Well, it looks like this. It looks like this person. Some of you may recognize this picture. This is a woman named Balpreet Kaur. She had this picture of herself, and as you may or not be able to see it, she has facial hair. Now, someone took a picture of her and posted it on Reddit, the social networking site, in the humor section. I mean, what they intended to say was a woman with a beard. This is funny. Let's mock it. Let's make fun of her. You see, Balpreet Kaur is a Sikh. And so as part of her practice of her faith, she does not cut her hair. Now, we actually got to hear from Balpreet Kaur this last week. Would a response be one of shame or resentment or anger? Well, no, it was something else entirely. These are Balpreet's words. I think they're just incredible. She said, when I die, no one is going to remember what I looked like. So I want to focus on leaving a legacy By not focusing on the physical beauty, I have time to cultivate those inner virtues and hopefully 
The focus of my life can be on creating change and progress for this world in any way that I can. Change and progress. Possibility, she's saying. And indeed, she already has. Because once her statement of dignity, her statement of presence, her statement of mindfulness, I will not be defined by those who would choose to mock me, was out. Well, it turns out the person, man or woman, I'm going to guess a man, but I don't want to put down my brothers intentionally. So I'll just go by this person's tagline. And this person's tagline in Reddit was European douchebag. Well, European douchebag, (laughs) sorry, just reporting the facts, (laughs) wrote this, which is pretty incredible. This person said of themselves, it was an incredibly rude, judgmental, and ignorant thing to post. I've read more about the Sikh faith, and what I found actually makes it really interesting to me. It makes a whole lot of sense to work on having a legacy and not worrying about what you look like. I made that post for stupid internet points, and I was ignorant. So Reddit, I'm sorry for being an asshole and for giving you negative publicity. Sikhs, I'm sorry for insulting your culture and your way of life. Valpreet, I'm sorry for being a closed-minded individual. When we can move beyond our stuckness, move beyond our re-sentiment. We see this in real time right here. We can open up a path, open up a way, open up that true reality of beginner's mind and beginner's heart because we create the conditions in which abundance, meaning our ability to flourish, really can thrive. But only if we choose to work with, not move entirely away from. If you've been around for a little while, you know that I love to work with movies, especially over the summer. It's not just limited to the summer around here. So when I was really digging into this message and I wanted to get a sense of what does it really look like to work with our past or to flee from our past, two movies came to mind. The first one is this, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, if you remember it, a surreal movie, a kind of beautiful movie, strange and odd. And it's about Jim Carrey, who, who actually for once kind of tones it down a little bit. I think it's one of his best acting gigs. And he's dating, she's up there in the corner, Kate Winslet. And they have this star-crossed love affair, and they break up, and they're both devastated. And because this is a fantastical movie, Jim Carrey learns about an organization that will blot out sections of your memory, sections of your life, if they are too painful for you to deal with. Now, the interesting thing about the movie is that where it ends, it ends on this oddly hopeful note. Because a lot of the movie takes place in Jim Carrey's mind and it's being erased. And you see his memory saying, we're going to try and find a place to hide. The movie ends on this hopeful note that maybe all this attempt to forget might ultimately be totally fruitless. But let's say we could erase parts of the past. I think that ultimately in that desire to be free from, we lose much more than just the quote-unquote bad stuff. Because we know that, in fact, how life is, life comes to us whole or not at all. Life is not an a la carte offering. Life is as it is. If we would seek to take out the quote-unquote bad stuff or sometimes the authentically really awful stuff, we will probably reduce our lives to a shadow. Tom Waits sang this way a number of years ago. He said, if I exercise my devils, well, you know what? My angels may leave too. 
life is whole. To aspire to work with our past is trusting what I believe is one of the absolutely true things about us, which is that we do have an innate capacity to heal. An innate capacity to heal that sometimes does not come in the way that we want it or in the timeline that we would wish it. But still, if we can move beyond resentment and resentment, still will arrive. I've done uh, one funeral and two weddings these last couple weeks. And in both those weddings, I've used these lines that not just as love, also not just as love is forgiving, it's also for the giving. If we've ever had the experience of being forgiven ourselves by someone whom we have harmed or we have had the experience of forgiving truly forgiving someone else it really does feel like a gift it really does feel like an experience of grace and yes that does not mean we allow the other person back into our life a zen teacher who i was on retreat with this past year said very clearly very beautifully and very wisely that sometimes we must put other people out of our lives The trick, however, is not to put them out of our hearts. What the teacher was saying in that moment is that we're always working with our past if we want to aspire and to grow. And so my favorite representation of working with the past is actually not really about working with the past at all, but it kind of is. You'll see in a moment. It's Groundhog Day. (laughs) One of the first spirit flicks movies that I preached on here. We never see Bill Murray... The weatherman, the predictor, if you will, we never see his, um, we never see his past. We see the accumulated fruits of all his energy, his karma, if you will, in this one day that goes on and on and on over and over again. By the way, the original script of this movie called for him to be stuck in that one day, Groundhog Day, for 10,000 years. He really had some unearthing to do. The estimate in the movie is probably about 10 years still. That's a lot of same day over and over and over again. We see his accumulated life energy in this day, and we see someone who holds on to a lot of resentment. We see someone who is egotistical and annoyed at the drop of a hat and vain and always looking to scheme his way around other people. He treats them as impediment until he wakes up one day and he finds that he cannot move on from Groundhog Day. At first, his response is one of forgetfulness. He becomes a libertine. It's all food and drugs and alcohol and, as the Sex Pistols say, if there's no future, there cannot be sin. Well, he's just going to enjoy himself as much as he can. But ultimately, it doesn't do him any good. He doesn't enjoy himself. His next step is to want to do himself in. Despair. Another form, the ultimate form of forgetfulness. But even that doesn't work. And so we see a series of scenes in which he jumps off buildings and shoots himself. And next day he wakes up again. Even despair won't work. Finally, he moves into this place of thinking, well, if I'm going to be here, maybe I have these kind of godlike powers. And we see even that in this beautiful scene that we see repeated over a series of days. That there is an old man who is dying in this town in Punxsutawney where he is stuck. And we see all these different days of Bill Murray interceding, thinking that because he knows what's to come he can intercede and get life the way that he wants. But the old man still dies. And in that moment, we see Bill Murray's character. He literally, you see the breath escaping from the old man's body. You see the ruah, the, as the Hebrews call it, the spirit, the spiritus, just returning back from which it came. And in that moment, the pissed off, but at this point now growing weatherman, starts to change. 
He starts to live the day simply to live the day. And he has to do this for a while more because he has to build all this capacity to be in the present. He learns simply to let it be. Because when he can simply let it be, then he can let it go. If he can let it go, then he is released back to life. Until finally, towards the close of the movie, he wakes up and there's not the same Sonny and Cher song playing on the radio at 6 o'clock in the morning. And he says, you know what today is? Today is tomorrow. If we learn not to stay stuck, if we learn to get unstuck from re-sentiment, from breathing out our own poisonous air and just breathing it right back in and learn to let it be and let it go, we can recognize that same possibility within ourselves. It's a little bit of a paradox to empty ourselves so we can be filled, to release the past while still vowing to learn from it. It's one of my favorite prayers by St. Augustine who prayed to God that may his hands be empty so that he might receive what will come next. This is so consonant with our deepest Unitarian traditions, which is that our salvation, which is to say our wholeness, it's not an otherworldly kind of thing, although not lopping off that possibility. Salvation, our wholeness, comes about by the shaping of our character, day after day after day, letting show within ourselves that native goodness, loving kindness, compassion, that is at the very heart of ourselves. Because if we work with the understanding that we have resentments for reasons, we may abide with it and our own hurts and our own desire for healing long enough to see that underneath that resentment, there is a deep and powerful love that wants to be expressed. Underneath our anxiety, we may see that there is just sadness or a desire to connect. And that can lead us back in the direction of our own lives. So today, may your love and also your resentment, if you're feeling resentful, may it simply be. May in you allowing yourself to be. Go easy and open up. And may you be released in time. May all of us be released. And may all of us be free. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. O oh, graceful source of so many names. May we understand that to live is to be hurt and also to hurt others. May we trust in a way beyond any words or in a way beyond any doctrine or faith could ever convey this deep capacity for healing and wholeness within each of our lives, this original blessing that is still here, whatever we are struggling with, whatever we are feeling. May we take the words that we heard today, to let it be, to hear the whispered words of wisdom, to know that there will be an answer, and to simply walk humbly and with kindness in the direction of our own wholeness.
and of the wholeness of every other being. May it be so, and amen.